Welcome back to the Sporting Max Podcast. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. The Missing Link will help you or your business connect with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Find them at tmlthemissinglink.com.au. Here is your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max. But today we're joined by NBL and AFL commentator and analyst and also one of the voices of SEN Radio, Cam Luke. Welcome to the podcast, Cam. How are you doing? Oh, mate, thank you for having me. I'm doing great. It's an exciting time here in Melbourne in particular. AFL is about to start. We've we just finished the NBL Cup, but the NBL season is not even halfway through. There is so much going on, mate. So a pleasure to uh, jump on the pod and have a chat. Now, Cam, can you tell me a little bit about your childhood and what growing up was like for you? It was good. I, it was always always sport-related. When I was growing up, my dad was a jockey, so I wanted to be a jockey when I was really, really young. And I was a little bit too big. I know for people who know me, I'm not overly big as it is, but too big <laughs> to be a jockey. So mum had to sit me down. I was like about seven or eight. I used to ride a rocking horse all the time. I just got a pony. We just moved from, from Deer Park, where we were, out to, to where my parents still live in Bacchus Marsh. So it was... I was trying to be a jockey or wanted to be a jockey, but it was well and truly too big. So I sort of just split like a lot of kids do, like everyone does between basketball and little athletics and trying to work my way through that. So growing up was cool. We had a, uh, we had a full court basketball court at our house. And by that, I mean dirt, but we had uh, a ring at at each end. We lived on uh, like 10 acres where my parents still live, as I said, just out of Backers Marsh, we had horses and it was, it was great fun. It was, it was one of those, uh, I guess like so many kids who love their sport growing up, mm-hmm. playing whatever it could possibly be and being as good as you could be, which for me wasn't all that good as in from a, uh, from a skill point of view. But it, was, it was lots of fun. And uh, I guess my love for sport and, and how it shaped me now in my work is uh, started from about the age of five. And from there, we continue to roll on through. What sort of subjects were you into at school as a kid? Uh, PE. That was mm-hmm. about it. <laughs> uh, no, like like anything, PE, and then he's just sort of. I, I wanted to be a journalist when I when I started getting into high school. So obviously English and mm-hmm. and uh, and writing and, and literature was something that I was sort of getting into just a little bit. Even in school, it was all about print journalism. I did my uh, work experience in year ten at at the Winning Post, which is a horse racing uh, newspaper and magazine and, and form. So uh, even then, I hadn't really thought about doing radio, which is where I do so much of my work and I never really ever mm-hmm. dreamed about doing TV. So uh, growing up, it was like, all right, if I'm, I'd like to be a professional athlete, but uh, <laughs> it's probably not going to happen, but a uh, print journalism. So sport was something I always wanted to, to end up in regardless of as a participant or a, or, or a journalist or a commentator. So it's uh, it takes some time every now and then, but I got there. Tell me about a bit about what you did after you finished high school. So when I finished high school, I think like a lot of people, you're unreally, you're really unsure as to what you want to do. So mm-hmm. finished high school and I was doing, I was playing basketball for for a club, Werribee in um, in the west of west of Melbourne, not far from where you you live, Max. Mm-hmm. And then yep. in that situation, uh, I was doing like, so I worked for the club doing uh, school clinics and running basketball camps as I was trying to work my way through what I wanted to do. So yep. I went and did a TAFE course on um, sports management and coaching and it was sort of just, you know, enjoying it. Like it's, it's not that it was a, um, you know, loads of money, but it was also something I was at the basketball court of the stadium every single day, going out to the school. And it sort of combined both, you know, the juniors at Werribee where I coached and, and, and played as well. So 
for three or four years, I was, I was sort of doing that and I, I really enjoyed it. Not much money. It's one of those situations where at some point I had to try and get a, a real job. So I decided yeah. to go into media and, and give that a crack. But yeah, out of high school, it was, it was more about just being able to play as much basketball as possible and try and combining a couple of different roles to allow me to do that. Still living at home makes a life a lot easier. I didn't have to move out. I wasn't going uh, yeah. too far away. So it, it, it kind of wasn't too bad. And I was at the basketball stadium pretty much every day, which I loved. Now, in 2010, you began working with uh, Craig Hutchison's Crop mm. Media, doing sort of multiple radio shows and other projects. How did you and sort of working with Croc Media all sort of come about? Well, I was working in Ballarat as a breakfast radio announcer at Power FM. So working at Ballarat and, and like pretty much every regional radio show, they have uh, an AFL segment on a Friday. It might be a tipping competition and it might just be a, a little chat. And Hutchie, through his association with um, Grant Broadcasters at the time, uh, had that relationship with uh, John Fitzgibbon, who is the general manager, yeah. still is a general manager of, of Ballarat. So that conversation was like, hey, can you come on with Cam and, and Jules, who was my co-host at the time? And yeah. uh, so Hutchie would come on every Friday. Now, um, at the end of that year, I was sort of looking for a new challenge and, and looking for some other things. So I, uh, I pulled the pin on Ballarat after being there for nearly three years and thought I'll, I'll get into the year and, and find a new opportunity. And it happened, luckily, that Hutchie, when I touched base and said, hey, I'm not sure if there's any roles going, but this is where I'm sort of looking at. I'm looking at some new staff. If it's still regional radio, it's away from Ballarat, but I'd like to get involved. And uh, the overnight's host, uh, midnight till six on SCN, had just pulled uh, the pin to go back to Gold Coast. He had a nice job and his family is from up there and yep. it just all sort of worked from there. Now, I see you've done a radio show uh, on SEN named The Road to the London Olympics. Um, you did this with the great man, Andrew Gaze. What was that like to work on the radio um, with him and then what was that whole experience like for you? Well, it was amazing because like anyone growing up uh, and loving basketball around my age or even a little bit younger, a little bit older, Andrew Gaze was everyone's hero. So mm -hmm. I was always hey, an Andrew Gaze guy. I wore number 10 because of Andrew Gaze. I'd met him once or twice without getting to know him too well. But as time went on and, and the Olympics were um, on the horizon, I'm an Olympics. I love the Olympics. I love track and field in particular. So I pitched to Hutchie and, and Croc Media and I said, look, this is my idea. We get Andrew Gaze, you know, five-time Olympian. Uh, I think I can put together a good show here. <laughs> I'll produce it. And that's how it played out. Next thing, Andrew Gaze was, was a part of the show. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. It was one of those first sort of, uh, projects or pitches or ideas that I had that actually got picked up. Uh, we did 10 episodes of it leading towards the London Olympics. And our first episode was with Ben Johnson. Now, Mark, you're probably too young. You definitely <laughs> weren't born in 1988, but he was a part of the, the greatest 100-meter final of all time. Now, and then it all turned controversial. It was a situation where he got... Uh, tested positive to, to, to steroids two days later. Carl Lewis got the, it was one of the biggest controversies, if not the biggest from a sporting perspective in Olympic history. And we had him on the first episode. Uh, and I've got to say this, Ben Johnson and I got into a little bit of an argument on air <laughs> about steroids, which I couldn't be any further against. And Gazy, the legend that he is, just sat, pushed the, just put some seat back. I was looking for a little bit of help. I thought, come on, Drew, come in and fly the flag. But uh, we were getting pretty deep into it. But it was a really good, really good chat, really good interview, and then a really good series because Andrew Gaze, anytime you, you go to five Olympic Games and you've carried the flag and yeah. be your host, host uh, as a host nation country, um, 
it makes it a little bit easy to be able to call people up and say, oh, look, I've got this show called the, uh, it's called The Flame. Is there any chance that quite possibly you want to come on? And, and, and because Andrew was on the show, it made it a lot easier to get the best guests. Yeah. It was a really, really fun experience. And uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, we're going to be out. We're doing something with the armchair experts for the Olympic Games, which I'm really looking forward to. But hopefully we can get back to the Olympic Games sometime soon because it was a, it's such a great experience. In 2016, you had your own radio show with uh, EON Sports Radio. What were some things or what sports in general did you guys talk about? It was really tough because it was a national radio show. It was digital, which is something that hasn't really taken off here yet, uh, although it's getting bigger and bigger each and every year. So sort of time at, at Croc Media around that time because of restructuring, there was a new role and I was sort of a little bit, not lost, but I was looking for a new opportunity and it just happened to pop up. But... People in Melbourne, South Australia and West Australia, I love AFL. People in, in Queensland yeah. and in New South Wales are, are big rugby league people. And to find that right balance, it was really, really hard because we'd talk about the AFL and the AFL fans would listen in and then we'd go to NFL and then vice uh, NRL. And then you go through it, it's very hard to mm -hmm. find the right balance in Australia. We have such patriotic fans with different codes. Um, it wasn't... A great experience. There was a lot of financial issues at the at the radio station. And in the end, I was actually on air when the station got cancelled. So I was on air wow. in a radio show in breakfast myself and my co-host Richie Callender. And we got told that this is it. So it was a really surreal experience and one that when I look back um, and it was money owed and we didn't get paid from a lot of our stuff. But it made me a, a weirdly, it made me a better broadcaster. The, the producer that I uh, that came to work with me is, is someone who I still work with every single day. He's, he's at Channel 7 with the Armchair Experts. So we've had these different projects that have, have really taken off since then. But while it wasn't overarchingly great, the fact was that it helped me become a better, better broadcaster because I had to do a lot more research about stuff that I may not have known about. We had to work our way through a four-hour radio show every day where we might not have had much talk back. So... Uh, Look, it was a slight little sour taste in our mouths for, for very many hardworking people who worked there, but uh, it did make me better at what I was doing. And you continue to learn every single day. And there was a, it was a decent learning experience, both in the studio and, and outside of it. And I did get to interview Usain Bolt, who came on our show. So it's still <laughs> the highest profile uh, athlete that I've ever spoken to. So it wasn't all bad. So it had its moments. Now, how have you found your experience over the years um, with being on the radio and what's it like to sit behind the mic? It's really cool. It's the best job in the world. One, unlike TV, you don't have to dress up. So I can roll to work in a T-shirt or thongs or whatever it might be. Yeah. And uh, essentially, there's, there's, there's two really good aspects to it. You get to sit down and talk about stuff you want to talk about, stuff you're passionate about, stuff you think you might have an opinion about that people might be able to resonate with, either good or bad. So you get to talk to like-minded sports fans and, and, and chew the fat just like you might have at school and you might at school or at work or whatever it might be around the, around the water cooler. And you get to interview, you know, cool athletes, people yep. from around the sporting world that have got great stories to tell who might have done great things or might be involved in, in something that they're trying to aim, like i.e. the AFL and the NRL seasons or, or, or the Olympic Games. So just to sit down behind the microphone and, uh, just have you in a very intimate setting talking to people who love sport just as much as you do. It's, it's great. Yeah. Now, not always um, a cup of tea. You get a lot of people who might be angry or 
<laughs> if you're eight when it comes to opinion, but that's exactly what sport is. That's exactly what it should be, a, a conversation. Sometimes you get abuse that is unwarranted, but sport <laughs> is a conversation that you can, that anyone can have. Like every single yeah. person I know has an AFL team. They might not be heavenly passionate where they go to every single game, but every single person I meet at some point has had a, has a feeling of, of um, supportership towards an AFL team or an NRL team or some sporting team. And that's, that's enough to be able to uh, reignite a conversation, be it on the radio or in person, wherever that might be. Now, after EON Sports, you became a part of the uh, Melbourne United media. Can you tell me about what your role there was like up until June 2020? Well, I'll tell you this. Vince Crivelli, who's the CEO of Melbourne United to this day, Tom Vandervoos, who was part of the, the marketing team and multimedia team, and Ash Stewart, who, who is now the, the media manager at the Sydney Kings, but the media manager at Melbourne United. I didn't have a job. I was sort of struggling a little bit uh, to get back into it. So I, I called up Vince, who I've known for you know 20 years of, of playing basketball against teams that he coached. And I said, Vince, this is what I want to do. Um, I'm not asking for a million dollars, but I, I need to, you know, be creative here and, and I've got some ideas. And to credit for the three people that's mentioned, Vince, Tom, and Ash, they were extremely welcoming for someone who was outside the outside the NBL, someone who the other two, Ash and, and Tom, had never met, and away we went. And uh, it was cool. Like, we got to do different things. They were very open to uh, podcasts, to sitting down and doing a little pregame show on Facebook for five or six yeah. minutes. I was hosting their functions as well. Um when uh, they start to redo their functions. So when I, when I look back at what got me going again from a, from a work perspective, from a confidence perspective, and from being in front of the camera, I'd never done any sort of TV or, or visual stuff before. Mm-hmm. That all of a sudden, because of what was at Melbourne United and contacts I made through the year, in which they won the championship. So it was kind of cool to, to be involved <laughs> in that as well. Uh, that was really the, the start of, of working and, and pushing ideas through digital and being able to make contacts that, hey, I've, I've got some ideas, creative ideas that if we work together can work. But it was, it was a great, it was a very fun year. It, it got me going again and they won the title. And the moment they won the championship, <laughs> we were live on Facebook. I was on the court interviewing the, the players who one minute ago won an NBL championship. So there was a lot of cool stuff that happened and I'm forever uh forever grateful to, to not just Vince and, and, and Ash and, and Tom, but the entire organization because it, it helped me a great deal. And I got to be involved in a documentary made on the actual championship. And that was something else that showed me a, a different side of, of what was happening to, to being able to make documentaries. And that was unbelievable. What was that like to be a part of that Dreams and Nightmares documentary and then be there to experience um, and be there on court to experience the championship? So the championship first, it was, it was great. As a, as a basketball fan and as a sporting fan, anything and a lot of what I, when I come up with ideas or try to get a job, it's to get free tickets to sporting event and, and sit courtside <laughs> and be there. And it was, it was unreal. The joint was, was absolutely buzzing that night. It was a game five series. And mm-hmm. uh, I'd gone Adelaide the week before. Uh, they, they led 2-1 and, and they trailed by 25, 26 and then they nearly stole it on the road. And then the, the following week, Rolled in, High Sense Arena, 10,500, all blacked out with the T-shirts. And it was cool. So to be courtside and see something like that's always fun. To be able to walk onto the court and, and interview, you know, these men who had just achieved, a, in some, a lifelong goal with, you know, Chris Golding had never won a championship. To sort of be there straight mm-hmm. up and, and the party and, and, and be hanging on the outskirts was, was really <laughs> cool. And the docker was unreal. Like, I, 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 great for me because 
I did all the questioning. So all the Q&As for all the key players and all the people who were involved and everything you've seen in the documentary, that was myself going one-on-one. For Tom Vandervoos, who edited the whole documentary himself, it would have been hell because for some <laughs> of these players, I sat down like for two hours and just sat there and, and had a chat. Yeah. About how what it all meant. And then he had to try and edit that into a uh, <laughs> a two-hour documentary, which was incredibly well done, unbelievably well done. So uh love to be a part of it, love the opportunity I had. Uh didn't didn't envy what Tom had to do on the back of it, but he did a wonderful job. And uh there was there was a fair bit of pride associated to that when we when we sat down and watched it. What's it like doing things like sports and awards nights and MC events and media and all this kind of thing? It's cool. It's great. Like emceeing, I love emceeing stuff because you get to roll on in. It's always a good night. So anytime you emcee a function, everyone's happy to be there. So no one's forced to go. It's a, you're essentially hosting a party yeah. where you get to read <laughs> stuff out and sometimes it's an award winner. So I've been lucky enough to host, you know, country racing awards a couple of times from my racing background. And, you know, when, when names get read out, those, those people have achieved something great in that particular year. So MC is something I am seeing is something I really like because everyone's happy. A couple of beers are flowing on the wines and it's a big <laughs> party because it's always celebrating a season or a, an event and everyone's happy to be up there. And uh, it's always a joyful mood. And I get to, again, not dissimilar to radio. I get to interview people who have done something really special. And it's either people who are uh, in a position of, of running a sport or people yeah. who have done something in that sport who, who are now having a quick chat to me about uh, all the special things they did. And anytime there's that type of excitement, it's, it's, it's always really easy and fun. Now, we've had your NBL Overtime co-hosts on the podcast in Liam Santa Maria and Corey Williams. Can you tell me about how the show all started? Well, it's one of those situations where I said to Guy Neville, who's the head of uh, digital, I had this idea, not dissimilar to the armchair experts, and I said, here we go. This is what I think we can do. The show, basketball was going to a new level and there wasn't really any basketball magazine shows at the time. So I got mm-hmm. in contact with Guy and sort of said, look, this is the idea. Uh, I want homicide. I've known Liam a long time. Can you make this work? And next thing you know, he comes back to me two weeks later. We had an interview or quick sit down and a, and a coffee at NBL headquarters. And he's like, this is sort of how I, I see it. And I said, however you want, however you want to do it, is I'm okay with it. I can provide the content and I can host it, but whatever you think is going to work for the league. Next thing you know, we're in a studio filming <laughs> episode one and uh, it's gone from there. It's been an incredible amount of fun. It, it has coincided with the NBL becoming one of the best leagues in the world and media is a huge part of, of, of any sporting league or association or governing body. So to be able to do it and be a part of it and have a very small part to play and go to Vegas for the summer league a couple of years ago, get to watch all these close games up up close and personal and be able to to talk about them every single Tuesday night is so much fun. And to have the different personalities, you know, you mentioned Homicide mm-hmm. and, and Corey Williams, you know what he's like. He's always willing to be passionate and, and have a nice <laughs> discussion. And to work with Liam, who I've known, I played basketball against him all, all growing up in juniors, played against him in seniors. So to be able to work so close with a professional and a superstar like him I've known for 25 years mm-hmm. is, is unreal. Can you tell me about the first episode and what it was like rocking up on set? Well, Liam and I got there nice and early and <laughs> we rocked in and we had the backdrop and it looked cool and we were we were nicely pumped. It was right after uh, Melbourne United and Sydney Kings had played in the Melbourne Cup Eve game. 
Mitch McCarron had tipped in the game winner. So, you know, they were the two best teams in the league. And that's just how it worked because we, we didn't quite get it up in time for the, in, for the first week. So it was about a yeah. month, six weeks into the season. But at the time, Homicide had only committed to doing every fortnight. He wasn't really sure. Maybe it was part of our fault where we'd sort of said, oh, you know, we're doing this show and it's going to go through Twitter and, you know, it hasn't quite got to um, TV just yet. And he's like, oh, okay, fair enough. But then when he walked in, yep. and as you know, Homicide's always filming something. Yep. When he, in, he just lost his mind. He's seen the backdrop. He's seen the, the panel. He's seen us dressed nicely ready to go. And on that moment, he realized this is going to be something he needed to be a part of each and every week. And he's like, I'm, I'll be here every week. And we're like, yeah, mate, that's the idea. And, um, you know, the energy was there. We were talking about that Sydney-Melbourne rivalry, Mitch McCarron, the tip-in, this great game. Bogut was here and and the Kings were playing well and Casper Ware. And, yeah, it was cool. And, and we just fed off the energy of, of those great games early and away we went. <laughs> now you've spoken to some big names uh, on the show, um, Lamelo Ball, RJ Hampton, Jock Landau, the NBL Commissioner, Jeremy Loliga, um, who we've also had on the podcast. What's it like to chat with these guys and stars that have and are going to the NBA? It's cool. Uh, yeah, Jeremy, the commish, as I like to, uh, and I started that nickname, he's the commissioner, but people <laughs> wouldn't call him the commission. I said, well, you're the commish. So uh, he, he's, He's the commission of, you know, one of the best leagues in the world and it gets big and better each and every year. So anytime he pops in and he's always great with his time, he gives us honest appraisals of how the league is going and what their ideas are. And he's come on the show in the biggest moments, the, you know, the, the launching of, of next stars, the, yeah. uh, obviously the decision last year around the, the NBL grand final, uh, the, the fact of when the draft was about to happen and, and LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton. So he's always been really great with his time and, and, and honest and, and, and gives us great insight to what it's like to, to run the league. LaMelo and RJ was, was cool. It was cool because they'd only just got here. It was a really big day because it was the day of the Boomers and the USA at Marvel Stadium. So we're all psyched about going to Marvel in front of 60,000 and watching them go at it. <laughs> And they rolled on in and they were just new. They're 18-year-old kids. And the next thing you know, they're just excited and they're talking about what they're going to do. We didn't know how good they were going to be. Mm-hmm. At that time, RJ Hampton was was the better player, or at least the better prospect. And LaMelo mm-hmm. Ball really in about, well, four quarters up against Perth, changed everyone's <laughs> opinion and scouts all around the world went nuts. And then someone like Jock Landale's great. Mitch Creek, these guys who who we know a lot about, but we get to know a bit more intimately and they're opening up. They're honest. You know, Landau told us on NBL overtime, they were going to go undefeated. That's yeah. the type of stuff we love. That That's the type of stuff because, you know, if you believe it, tell us. And yeah. too many, too many athletes, too many sporting stars around the world in, in team sports in particular are, are very mindful of the brands and they're very cliched and they don't give a great deal. In the NBL, we, we feel we get a lot out of, you know, the Landales, the Mitch Creeks of the world, Bryce Cottons, you know, Mitch McCarrens, Chris Golden. They're these superstars that join us on NBL Overtime at different points are, are so great. And they all have their own stories to tell. They're, they're writing their own stories in the NBL, but they're also got backstories that have been brilliant, be it in the NBA or trying out in the NBA or, or playing in Europe or playing for their countries. And it's, it's so cool to just chew the fat with these players who are superstars and, uh, are they going to play for our country if they don't win an NBL championship, play for their country, or maybe go back to the NBA? And that, 
was fun to be a part of. Now, when Jock Landau said that Melbourne United are going to go undefeated, Shane Hill was onto it and he said that if they did, he would shave his head. So what, what's your perspective on that? Uh, well, now, <laughs> Hamad just took the risk, knew that. I didn't think they'd go undefeated and not yeah, because yeah. I don't think Melbourne are good, but I think they're really good. But I just think it's too hard in today's day and age in this league to be so good to go through undefeated. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Ham, was Hammer going to peroxide his, his bald head, was he, if he shaved his head off? Because he's been peroxiding his hair since <laughs> 1985. So it, you, you knew that it was a big thing when Hammer was talking about yeah. getting rid of it. Um, but I, you know what? I didn't think it would happen. It hasn't happened. But it's exactly what players should think. When they roll in, you're part of a good team. You should be thinking you're going to be good. You should be thinking every single game you go into. Game. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what you should be. And people might think it's arrogant or people might think that it's going too far. Well, you know what it is? It's backing yourself to win a game as every single club should do. Is it realistic to go undefeated in the NBL? Yeah, probably. Unrealistic at least to, to do it. But is it realistic to believe that Landale and Melbourne United can have a big year and win the championship? Of course No, it is. so... That's where he was yeah. coming from, and uh, it, was, it was it was a good comment. And I liked the fact that he didn't back he didn't backtrack. He he went with it and went with it. And in the end, it, it was probably always going to fall over from that statement. But he didn't back away from it. He thinks they're going to be good. He continues to believe that. I'd say. What's it like to work with Liam Santa Maria and Corey Homicide Williams? It's great. It's great because they're such different personalities. Like Corey's a loud American, former yeah. MVP, passionate got an opinion, which Liam does as well, but has the opinion and, and, and shoots it and shouts it from the rooftop. <laughs> With Liam, totally different. And it just works so well for the show. I've got the best job in the world because I sit there, I know exactly how they tick because we've worked together so closely for the last two and a little bit years. Mm-hmm. I know what's going to get homicide going. I know which way to lead into Liam on certain things. I know when to push and I know when to pull it back just a little bit. So having two different, totally different people. You couldn't find two... Mm-hmm. Totally different people than, than Corey and Liam. Both outstanding at what they do in their own right. So as long as they have the talent, it doesn't matter which way it comes from or which way it goes, I'm able to hopefully mould it towards uh, putting together a good show. And, and, and so far, I'm, I'm fairly proud of what we've been able to achieve. Now, I went back to the episode the other day where Corey uh, wore, first wore his uh, Ain't a Cupcake League um, hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw your, you and Liam were sitting there like, What's this? And then, then he's like, "Oh, I got you guys freebies." And yeah, what, what was your first impression of that? Um, that top. Well, I'll tell you, my first impression was I still haven't got my freebie. <laughs> uh, I still have, don't have it. It's been two years later. He's trying to sell them on Instagram. Liam and I are still not going without it. Um, it it it, it, it surprised me, but mm-hmm. it's something he's always said. And he stands by it. And, and it's, as time goes on, it's become part of vernacular in the NBL because players use it. Uh, you know, uh-huh. coaches understand it. And it's the very fact is that they don't know Cupcake League. And, and, and the perfect example of these guys who come over here, highly credentialed, have been in the NBA and may think that it's going to come in and dominate. And they don't. And they find it very hard very early. And then the fact is that, and he pushed it to RJ and Lamello. It's not. You're not coming over here to dominate. Now, they both had outstanding years. Don't get me wrong. In yeah. particular, Lamello. But you're just not going to roll in and think that you can just you can dominate these guys. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's exactly what it's right. So, it did surprise us a little bit. But he, he lives by that motto and he continues to push it. And uh, I think it's proven to be fairly correct. But I still haven't got 
my freebies. So thank you for reminding <laughs> me, because I'll definitely bring that up. Armchair experts with yourself and AFL Brownlow medalist Adam Cooney. Tell me about the show and what it's like to work with Adam Cooney. Yeah, it's great. It's one of those shows that um, we just sit down and you're just with your mate. And I'd, I'd, I'd known Adam a little bit before the show started. When I went to Channel 7 with the idea and we were trying to, to develop it and, and pitch it to Channel 7 and get it up, they asked who I wanted to work with. And I, it's not a typical football show as such. We do talk a lot of football, obviously, but I need someone I had a bit of a rapport with, someone who, uh, because we're on late night, uh, can speak football. He's got a great football mind but also be able to ease a little bit and do some other stuff uh, mm -hmm. and sort of take the mickey out of themselves. So Adam Cooney was the, the perfect example of that. His football mind is second to none. And that's, that's no real surprise. When you play 250 games and, and you win a Brownlow medal and you're part of really good teams, as he was for you know two, three, four years at the Western Bulldogs, and there's, there's no surprise as into yeah. what he can bring. So um, the, the, the show's evolved. We're now going into our, into our fourth year. Uh, it's on Channel 7 now. We've now got three shows a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on TV on the Friday night. And the other two, of course, being uh, just on, on on Twitter through our digital stream at 7AFL. So uh, to sit there and, and watch the game. So we spend, of course, the game Friday night sitting down, have some dinner, talking, throwing ideas around with our, our production team, and then to be able to turn the cameras on and, and do that's extremely fun. Now, you're also currently um, on SEN Radio. What, tell me about what you do here. Well, this could be the most remarkable job I've ever got because what I do Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is I sit in the radio studio. Mm -hmm. We have two big TVs that have the horse racing on and Campbell Brown, former Hawthorne Premiership player and a big lover of racing. David Taggart, former Group 1 winning jockey, six-time. We sit down and we give tips and we just talk like we're at the pub. That's what we do. We don't even play that. We don't even play the races. We just describe what we are seeing into a microphone each and every day. And it is remarkably fun. When it started the station, we're coming up to our one-year birthday in a couple of weeks on, on March 27. When we started the station, or when the station was started, I wasn't part of it, and uh, I was privy of of some of the conversations what they were trying to do. And I was like, this is probably not going to work because you don't have the racing rights. Well. It's gone to a whole new, an absolute whole new <laughs> level. So I sit there four hours a day watching the racing, giving tips, which takes some time, but I love it being a horse racing guy. And in the end, we find on around 40 stations around the country, the entire country, all of us in it together, I refer to them at the, as the SEN track family. Uh, we tip winners, we play music when our horses win that we've tipped and uh, sometimes some sad music when it loses, but it is <laughs> remarkable. And SEN, I don't do as much on the SEN 1116 SEN anymore. I do occasionally do some fill-in stuff, uh, but mainly SEN track. So SEN's cool, talk back, love doing footy and, and all-time sport. But right now it's SEN track and I'm having a ball. Now I've heard you this season are in the NBL commentary team doing a great job this year. What's it like to commentate games are in the studio and then what sort of displayed around the studio and on the panel and things like that? It's, it's cool. It's different. I'm a little bit different, uh, obviously, in, a, in the hub situation in which we have. And, and in 2020, in, in all sports around the world, everyone was calling from yeah. a hub. So uh, <laughs> we were, well, the NBL was a year in, in, in front of what, in fact, everyone had to do. I, um, I never, I've never called an NBL game from a stadium. So I've called some NBL one, but I've never called... Mm -hmm. NBL. So for me, my, my first games were always in the studio, in the hub. So 
I never had the situation where it's different for me. Every time I've called an NBL game, I've gone to a studio. We've got the big TVs. We've got the stats sitting right there. We've got the panel with the three of us. Mm-hmm. And away we go. And we did the same thing with the WNBL also um, in the summer or early in the summer, not long before Christmas. So sit there and it's, again, I, I find it so much fun because all I have to, all I have to do, because I'm not a special expert, all <laughs> I have to do is just describe what I'm seeing. So if someone throws a big dunk down, I'll get excited. If someone snaffles a 10th rebound, I'll get excited with a double-double if that's the case. And it's so much, it's so much fun and I'm looking forward to I've had a couple of weeks off with the NBL Cup, a lot going on, and, and John Casey, the doyen, being a part of the commentary team. So looking forward to, to getting back in there, not too uh, distant future. Josh Giddy, what a star. Um, oh. He's been so far um, 18 years old, playing amazing basketball, um, obviously for the Adelaide 36ers. What pick would you be taking him at or projecting him at in the NBA draft? I think he'll be top 10. I think he'll be the first international player taken. We're having a little bit of a different year this year where we've seen the collegiate players and we have a bit of an idea as we are about to get into March Madness. But his ball vision, and I've seen some numbers today. He's been outstanding in the last month or so as he's eased back into it, into his rhythm. His jump shot needs some work still, and Lamelo Balls needed yeah. some work as well. But if you look and scouts around the world and teams around the world or in the NBA will be like, this is very comparable to what LaMelo Ball did last year. Now, yeah. it may not be with as much flash as pizzazz, and when you have 4 million Instagram followers like LaMelo Ball does, then <laughs> everything gets exaggerated. But he's, he's, he's ball vision, the way he's able to work the pick and roll, the way that he seems to always have time, his height, his length, and now his ability where he's able to hit the three a lot more consistently and that pull-up jumper just means he's just going to get better. We, we've still got half a season to go, and if he continues to build on this, the sky's the limit, but I think he'll be top 10 and, and be very close to being that first international player drafter, which is, which is so exciting with, with the next stars program. It's, it's, it's one thing to have the Americans come in and, and do what they did. Brazilians with did Lazada yeah. as well. Jessup, you know, ball Hampton last year, Bruce Bowen, a couple of years ago. Sorry, Brian Bowen, a couple of years yeah. ago. And, and the fact is that's all great. And it's unreal for the league, but we've got an Australian doing it or Australians Mojave King, of course, will probably be here for two years. But with an Australian doing it, it just adds even more to the program and just continues to tell us how great this whole league is. How do you think the 36ers season is going to turn out? Obviously, with a couple of injuries in Isaac Humphreys and things like that, and then the release of Donald Sloan and then Brandon Paul coming into the squad. Brandon Paul is going to be great. I think we've already Mm -hmm. seen a little bit of what he can do on debut, which is always hard <laughs> to do. I think they need Isaac Humphreys back. And that's the thing, he, that foot injury. Him and DJ have been working really well together. You know, Giddy's Giddy. Uh, Crockett had his moments. Sunday Ditch is a, a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate and is playing great basketball. But they need Isaac Humphreys. They need the big boy in the middle so he can balance them out mm-hmm. a little bit better. So uh, I think... So much of their their late season form is going to hit. Not to say Giddy won't continue playing well. Not to say that Paul's not going to be outstanding. Daniel Johnson is Daniel Johnson. These guys can play well, but I think they still need Isaac Humphries. And um, Keanu Pinder's been, you know, fighting outside his weight division as a starting four man here in this league in the last three or four games. McVeigh coming off the bench has been good, but just a little undersized in some aspects. So um, they need Isaac Humphries back. Easier said than done. But if he does, then they can cause some damage. It's not a team you yes. want to play, in particular in Adelaide. 
Ah, now Ryan broke off the start of his sort of career with the Phoenix. Has he been on, do you think he's made, might have been on sort of a couple of limited minutes sort of warming up into the games or as he's had a sort of break off and then come into the side and sort of played a week in? Yeah, no doubt it's a minutes restriction. And the fact is, he hasn't played basketball for a year with uh, yeah. you know, the pandemic and then the, the bubble didn't quite work out. His, his, his wife, uh, I think, with a um, an illness that was suspect, susceptible to uh, coronavirus, so and and so he should he did he stayed with her mm-hmm. rather than go to the bubble. So um, he hadn't played for a year. Then you sit in quarantine for two weeks in a hotel room, and while he was jumping on the bike and trying to keep his his conditioning up, he hadn't really touched the ball. So to not rush him into it, mind you, he gets a, a wide open three in ten seconds when he gets on the court. <laughs> but he he's the type of guy that's going to take this Phoenix team who all. Ready. A lot of people already believe it's going to be really good, really good. He just adds that beautiful, you know, cream on top. So looking forward to him getting deeper into this team. He'll be a starter. And that's hard to do at Phoenix because Turangi's yeah. been great. Glidden's been great. You know, Mitch Creek's dominating. Kiva Sykes still has to come back from that injury that's had him out. So they've got seven or eight guys that could legitimately lay claims to starting in the NBL. So uh, it's not always easy for Simon Mitchell. And that's a balancing act of having a talented squad. But Ryan Brokoff will be there. Now the two teams, the Cairns with sort of Oliver Machado and then um, the Breakers with um, two Webster brothers, Ty and Corey. They're sort of sort of mid to late bottom of the ladder. Do you think they're yep. going to get back up there as predicted at the start of this season? I don't think either will make the top four now. And I think they may still get better. They will. Ty Webster's been great. Corey Webster's got that mm-hmm. injury. Uh, McDowell White. Of course, in that situation, is going to yeah. come in. Lamar Patterson released, now ending Back up at, at the, like this is a remarkable yeah. situation that that we are seeing. Um, but I think they're going to give themselves too much work to do. There, there are teams in this league that they're going to have to they're going to have to get on a run. Both teams or either going to have to get on a run. You might need to win eight, nine out of ten games, and I just think that's too hard mm-hmm. from where they are right now. If you look at Cairns, DJ Newble last year leading scorer, probably more importantly defensive player of the year. They're missing that wing defense early. They're missing that transition, maybe a little bit of that leadership. Cam Oliver hasn't quite got to the same heights, but he's right there. We know how talented he is. And Scotty Machado is getting defended just a little bit differently by teams. It hasn't been as effective, although I think he's still been great. So their third, their third option is their big one. Was it going to be Majok Deng? Maybe. Yeah. He gets out when they start to get and play a little bit better. Is it going to be quite Noy? Maybe, but he's only the second year of his professional career. You know, it's not going to be Mojave King because he's just starting. And it's just that third option that Cairns mm-hmm. in such a deep league has, has kind of hurt him a little bit. So, uh, or hurt them a little bit. So, that, that's the big issue with both of those sides. Are they talented? Yes. Can they win games? Yes. Can they win enough to really make a dent on the top four? I'd say doubtful, but there is still a long way to go. So, uh, I'm not going to rule it out, but it will be interesting to see if these teams get going. New imports, McDowell. White coming in at New Zealand. When does Corey Webster get back? Finn Delaney, I think, is almost the key to New Zealand because when he plays well, they traditionally do play well. Patterson back at the Bullets. Um, Sobey, when he got snubbed from the Boomers' side, um, that sort of, I think that might have hyped him off a bit and he's come out and just played some terrific basketball um, for the Bullets. And then with Patterson obviously coming back into that side, it adds that sort of extra bit of development um, in terms of the ball of the season. It, it, it'll be interesting because Brisbane were playing really good basketball. Nathan Sobey is the second best player in the league behind Bryce Cotton in this mm-hmm. particular season. They were going well. 
defensively, they were really bad in the second half. Kings put up 71 on them on Saturday night. And all of a sudden, I go get Lamar Patterson back. Now, I love Lamar Patterson. All NBL first team two years in a row. And this may well work, but he's obviously been injured. Not, and he not didn't in the great deal of shape. But you know, I'm hearing he's, he's, he's getting better. He's working feverishly. Defensively was their issue. Now, I'm not saying Lamar Patterson can't play defense. Mm-hmm. The fact is that they've got to be able to find a stopper. Now, is that going to be him? Let's see. Is it going to take away too much from what Nathan Sobey's been able to do? I hope mm-hmm. not. Because what we've, you know, be it the boomer snub, which will be resurrected. He will be in that squad, surely. I'm not giving up on that just yeah. yet, surely. <laughs> but the fact is that you don't want to take from Nathan Sobey because he's been so good. The issue hasn't been the offensive end. It's been a defensive end of the of the, of the the court. So that's going to be an interesting mix to try and make sure you don't take too much away from Sobey and hopefully I get defensive world right. But I like it. I like the fact that they're taking risks. They're not just in it to, to, to make the playoffs and be an okay team. They're in it to win the championship. Is it going to work? Well, only time will tell, but uh, they've got to get going sooner rather than later if they're to, to knock Perth or Melbourne or even the Phoenix from those, cop, uh, those uh, top couple of spots because, yet again, winning games on the road and big finals against those teams, very hard to do. Now, you mentioned Perth and Bryce Cotton. Start of the season, I think everyone was sort of had a bit of doubt in yeah. Perth um, with the loss of sort of Nick Kaye, those kinds of guys. But then Bryce Cotton and John Mooney and Todd Blanchfield, um, those and um, Travers, who's come out as a development player and starting five most weeks. Um, and they've just surprised everyone has taken the lead by shock. Um, Mate, I, yeah. I'll tell you. I didn't wholly count them out of making the four, but I didn't have them in my four. And then mm-hmm. you looked at the lineup, John Mooney, how good is he? First year pro. Is he a guy who's going to be able to put enough points up? Bryce Cotton has to do it himself, possibly. How's Mitch Norton? Keeping in mind, we've lost Damien Martin. How's Mitch Norton mm-hmm. going to step in and be able to play? Nick Kay's gone. Best power forward in the league the last two years. All of a sudden, are you Todd Blanchfield in? He's doing exactly what Tariko White did. In fact, more efficiently. <laughs> Mitch Norton's been outstanding. He stepped straight up and filled that void as much as someone can uh, of Damian Martins. John Mooney's been incredible. Like double double every night. Lock it in. And offensively, yeah. he's been great. So, and now we keep hearing that hey, citizenship, it's coming. <laughs> you know, they can add a. You would think an American four. Luke Travis, who you touched on, had his moments. Jared Bearstow had his moments. Picked him from the state league. They've had injuries as well. Clint Steindl hasn't had the year this year that he had in previous years. And then you have someone like Corey Scherville who's, who's able to come on. Jesse Wagstaff, the captain, six championships. Probably his best year he's been able to do from a scoring output. Mm-hmm. So it has been remarkable. And just got to give all credit to, to Trevor Gleeson because what they're able to do, winning the NBL Cup, going on this run, being away from home. And they lost one at home early. In fact, probably should have lost two. Phoenix had them um, early in the... In that first game they played before Perth were able to get home late. So it is a remarkable situation. And I'd say that streak of of making the playoffs for the last four million years is going to continue because they look like a serious championship contender. Now, I want to know your NBL MVP this season, Defensive Player of the Year and Championship winners. I'm going to give it to Bryce Cotton, but I think Nathan Sobey is... They're the two I think will be fighting out. Jock Landau's going to be there as well. I picked him preseason. So I'll say Cotton just, but Nathan Sobey, if he continues this, is going to be seriously considered 
Defensive Player of the Year award, I'm going to give. I'm going to give it to Sunday Detch. I think he's been great. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. He's been, and there's a lot of different very good basketballers. Mitch Norton, who we mentioned moments ago, big fella inside. Isaac Humphreys probably led it earlier in the year. Uh, is probably at this point going to miss too many games. I'll give it to Sunday Detch, and I'll give the championship to. I'll give it to Melbourne United. Melbourne United. Why? I, I think I think their depth, Chris Golding, you'll be able to get Jack White back, Landale, Mitch McCarron's having an outstanding year. Shaili off the bench has been good. Uday Barbar's been good. Achul's been great. But I, we talk a lot about Perth, a lot mm-hmm. about Perth. Scotty Hobson hopefully get back from injury soon. I forgot to mention him. That's how deep they are. But. <laughs> We talk a lot about Perth still having an import slot. So does Melbourne. Melbourne still have, they only have the one import now. I'm not saying if they've got the money or whatever it might be, but they've still got an import sleeve, a slot up their sleeve. Now, will they use it? I would say probably not. Mm-hmm. But if things start to get a little de- desperate, maybe with they Scotty, will. Use. With Scotty maybe taking extra time out. Exactly. And next thing you know, they roll another import in and, and being able to, to fit them all in though, is going to be hard to do. But um, I'm going to say Melbourne United. I went with them in the preseason. They're still on top of the ladder, but Perth have been outstanding. Phoenix are getting better. Brisbane, the whole league feels like they're getting better, but I'll give it to Melbourne United. I'm not willing to jump off that ship just yet. Who's going to be in that championship series with them, do you think? South East Melbourne Phoenix. I think it's the all, all Melbourne final. A big throwdown, <laughs> five games. Might even lobby. I might try and lobby the commission to make it a seven-game series because it's all, <laughs> we're going to love it. Uh, but, yeah, look, it, it come, it, it's going to come down. It's, it, it's just going to come down to minutes in the fourth quarter because any team can beat any other team. And Melbourne are so deep. Perth are Perth. You know, South East Melbourne Phoenix. Brisbane are making some changes. They're going to try and get going. If Illawarra can get going, like every team can win a legitimate. In fact, every team right now should be saying, we're going to roll. We're talented enough. We're mm-hmm. deep enough to win it. But I, I think, you know, the Kings, I actually picked them to make the top four, which a lot of people didn't do. If Xavier Cooks can get going again, who knows there? They've still got a lot of home games to play, but I, I'm going to go Melbourne v Melbourne at the moment or Melbourne v Southeast Melbourne. But I'm not counting out. Like Perth are outstanding. Kings get going, Brisbane. This is the excitement of it. There's so so much basketball to go. Now, who are your AFL premiers and your Brownlow medalists um, that you're sort of predicting for this season? I am going to predict the West Coast Eagles to win the premiership. Last year, I'm interested as into how they didn't handle the hub. Now, there's no excuses for that. They're professionals and other teams handled it. They didn't. Uh-huh. But I, I think that a Tim Kelly... I think they've got some guys who are going to come in and put a bit of pressure on certain players as well. Like Oscar Allen is one of those guys. If Kennedy or Darling are not having a good purple and not having a good patch in the season or in games, Oscar Allen's a, a kid that can go up. Nick Nat, they're, they're, they're still really talented. So more consistency, hopefully, touch wood, that we're not going to have coronavirus situation again where they can't play games at home. Yeah. Uh, so the West Coast Eagles for me, but she's yeah, Richmond. Going to be really <laughs> long, you know. The same thing as the NBL. That there's five or six. Yep. You can make cases for five or six teams legitimately to to win the AFL Premiership. And from a Brownlow perspective, I'll stay in the West. Tim Kelly. Tim Kelly. 
Tim what? Kelly, I think, had a, had a really good year and he, he does poll well. So I think that if the Eagles win well, he's a type of guy. The Eagles, I, I will put a caveat on it. I think Elliot Yo needs to get back from that injury and play good footy. I think he's their most important player and I love him. I think he's their best player. But uh, round one's not overly important. It's later in the year. So they've got to get him right to have a real crack at it. So Elliot Yo, but Tim Kelly, I think the West Coast Eagles double with, uh, with Tim Kelly winning the Brownlow. What's your best advice for anyone um, trying to make their way into the sports media and be successful like yourself? Just be passionate. Like if you, if you love it, and this, this goes for almost anything, but if you, if you love something, you're passionate about it, 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 it oozes out of you. And in a conversation, you know, the conversations I have on the radio, on the TV, the exact same conversations I have sitting on the couch at home or sitting in the stands at a basketball or a football game or a sporting event, because that's what sport does for me. And I think from that perspective, you work hard and you, you're passionate and you love something as much as I do sport. And it's always easy to be able to achieve your goals, which I get to do. And, and that goes for anyone who, whatever they want to do, if they, if they want to be a doctor and they want to do it and they're, they're passionate about it and they love it and they work hard, then good things will happen. If they, if they want to be a tradesman, if they want to be a police officer, whatever it might be. And, uh, that, that's the advice I have that translates to me and, and sports media, but also mm-hmm. in all walks of life. Thanks, Cam, for coming on the podcast and putting aside your time uh, tonight and to come on and have a chat. Been a pleasure, mate. I can't believe you got Corey and Liam on before me, but uh, <laughs> hey, I love it, mate, and thank you. I love your work. Keep doing it. You've done an amazing job and uh, look forward to a couple of years working together, mate. You and I can do something special. Thanks, Cam. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. Thanks for listening to Sporting Max. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes and follow and subscribe to our channel on Instagram and YouTube. This episode was brought to you by The Missing Link.